Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to show 325 from Engage for Success. I'm Jo Moffat. I'm host for the next 30 minutes. And for the next half hour, we're going to be talking about a, a topic which I'm sure is very close to many of our listeners' hearts from a personal perspective, but also very, very important from a professional and organizational success perspective. And, and that is around how do we go about engaging parents at work. And um, I'm going to be uh, talking um, a lot around the topic with our guest, Alison Green. Um, Alison is an executive coach with Womba, and she's going to be sort of talk, talking us through that topic because um, very, very purposely, we're talking here about engaging parents at work. And Alison is going to be sharing with us some real changes in, in this area that she has seen uh, come to the fore in the last uh, sort of 12 months or so. Um, because traditionally, we've tended to think about engaging mums, and we've talked about returning mums. Uh, and um, Alison's going to be talking really a little bit about how that has changed and talking about how... Uh, we as organizations can do our part to make that work more effectively. So very pleased to welcome today's guest, um, Alison Green, to the show. Hello, Alison. Hello, Joe. Good to, good to have you with us. And um, I have to, we have to sort of express um, or declare a, a long-term interest, I think, here. Um, so Alison um, was once a client of mine um, back in the, in, uh, in the dim and distance. Um, so I know Alison's going to tell us a little bit about her background, but we have worked together um, professionally for quite some years when Alison was at AXA Insurance and uh, we were developing the internal communication program to engage their, their workforce with a new brand campaign that was about to, uh, about to launch. And we did a whole raft of really exciting stuff then. But uh, that seems like a long time ago, Alison. It was a long time ago, Joe. I like to think of that as my second career, my, my <laughs> second of three. <laughs> uh, so do so. Let's let's kick off then with with a little bit about yourself, Alison. What what's your professional background been? Um, so um, as I just mentioned, I, I I do think of my career sort of in three phases, and my the mm -hmm. first part of my career was um, in advertising. Um, and it's something I'd always wanted to go into, um, joined a top three London ad, ad agency um, mm -hmm. and worked for them for many years, then moved out to Asia and set up advertising agency networks in Indochina, um, managed accounts like Singapore Airlines. And, and I have to say, I loved that part of my career, really fast paced, fast moving. Mm -hmm. um, but I then had a family. And quite right. quickly realized that the, the way that I was working in advertising wasn't particularly compatible with um, my family life. So I mm -hmm. then made a shift to marketing, um, initially as a, a brand consultant, and then I um, joined AXA, which is where our paths crossed many years ago, um, yes. initially as a consultant for them, and then I was there for 14 years. Um, and during that time, I led various brand and marketing departments. Mm -hmm. And often the theme there was around um, helping AXA become more employee-centric, more customer-centric, and helping them really live their brand um, mm -hmm. internally and externally. Um, and whilst there, I was also um, sat on their diversity and inclusion board. 
And I increasingly realized what I really loved about my job was developing people, building teams, building capability. So I decided some time back now to uh, do a master's in executive coaching and transition Mm -hmm. to my third career, which is now executive coaching. Um, And as you mentioned at the beginning, um, I'm director of Womba um, Mm -hmm. and also have my own executive coaching practice. Right, right. So fascinating. And, uh, you know, you talk there about living the brand values. And, and, you know, I remember when we first started working with you that thinking there was here was somebody that we could work with who kind of had a real shared belief in the importance of the brand inside and out and how important um, it is for organizations to recognize the need to deliver a, a, you know, a consistent brand experience, not just to their customers, but to their people as well. Um, and we've kind of always shared that that belief, both of us coming from a from an advertising agency background in the first place. So uh, fascinating, yeah. isn't it? So, so tell me what tell me and and tell our listeners, Womba. Um, I, what what yeah. what does Womba? What is Womba all about? What does it stand for? So it stands for Work Me and uh, Baby. Um, and I joined right. uh, Womba as a director beginning of beginning of 2018, actually. Um, but my two partners there, Helen Satchdev and Dan Godsall, um, they set up Womba in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. And I think probably it was a bit ahead of its time. Um, they set it up. Dan, um, they both used to work at Barclays. And mm-hmm. um, Dan took some time out from his career when he had his first son. Um, and at the time, that was quite a novel thing to do. He was out for six months or so. Um, yes. And he was expecting it all to be, you know, a bed of roses, lots of lovely walks in the park and coffees and, yes. you know, on swings. <laughs> and he quickly realized the reality was very different from that. And what really struck him was the network that he formed during that time and watching mums as they were transitioning back to work. He saw these really capable, confident women struggling in that, um, often struggling in that return back to work um, mm-hmm. and recognized how beneficial it would be for them and for the organizations they worked for uh, to offer more support to, um, in, at the time, it was particularly working mums, um, mm. offer them more support. So that's what Womba did. It, 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 it offered um, support to organizations um, in the form of coaching programs, the group coaching right. programs and one-to-one coaching for their right. working parents and also the managers of working parents. So they right. could have more support as they transitioned out of work and back into work because it's a really profound, significant life and career changing time. Um, and I think I would have loved to have had that sort of support at the time that I was having my boys. Um, and it's what we really hear back from our programs is how much working parents value having that time and space to yes. reflect on that transition and to have some support and to also connect with other people who are going through the same thing as they mm. are at the same time. Mm. Mm. So, so some people are getting, are getting the advantage of, of organisations getting this right for them. Um, uh, but I think there's quite a lot of people who either aren't getting that advantage or benefit or, or are frightened of what the kind of experience they're going to have is going to be. So I, I always... Um, I primed you on this, so I, may, I won't make no sense, no attempt to pretend this is spontaneous. But I'd love it. We talked about some scary numbers, didn't we, Alison? And you know, there's some, there's some yeah. really quite frightening statistics out there. Um, 
because it isn't a garden, a, a, it isn't a bed of roses, is it, by any means? No, I, I, scary, and I don't want to scare people, I think <laughs> don't want to scare your listeners, but it's quite illuminating to look at this from different perspectives. So mm. if we look at it, say, um, from the perspective of, of, of expectant and, and new mums, um, one of the fi- figures that I find really staggering, and this is from the EHRC, is 77% of expectant and new mums report negative or discriminatory experiences um, during pregnancy, maternity leave, or return to work. And I find that a, a really staggering sum, mm-hmm. that mm. that percentage of, of mums um, do experience that. Um, yes. So from a mum's perspective, we know there are challenges. Um, mm-hmm. We also know in terms of the um, shared parental leave, shared parental leave was introduced as a way of trying to make it possible for mums and dads um, to take um, parental leave. Yet the take-up of shared parental leave is less than 2%, and there's a whole host of reasons for that which we can go into if it's useful. But yeah. it's a staggeringly low figure when you think that was introduced as a way of trying to, to make it possible for, for both mm. parents to take some mm. time off. Mm. And perhaps if so I would, shared you, one more, because I could yeah, go yeah. on and on. Yeah, um, but yeah. one more is nine out of ten men believe it's equally acceptable for women and men to take time out to care for their family. So if we contrast that take up of shared parental leave is less than 2%. Yet mm. nine out of ten men believe it's equally acceptable for women and men to take time out to care for their family, and that's the business in the community yeah. stat. We can yeah. see there's a big gap between Something's getting what in the parents way, would it? like to do yeah, and what mm. they're able to do mm. and, and mm. what their experience is during, during this life stage. Yes, and so you talked about Dan, one of the founders of Womba. Um, I mean, certainly he was unusual in 2015, and he's still going to be unusual in 2019 then, isn't he? Yes and no. So I think perhaps what we're we're starting to move on to is is the shift mm-hmm. that we've noticed. Literally okay. over the last, I would say, twelve, probably only the last twelve months or so, mm-hmm. um, which is up until that. I think a lot of the focus and the attention was was as an organisation. How do we support our expectant and our new mums? What do mm-hmm. they need? Um, but. What we've seen is a real shift to thinking about this from a parent's perspective. And the organizations that we see who are moving towards more gender-neutral policies and pay, um, there is a really big uptake in either shared parental leave or extended paternity leave. So where organizations are making it more accessible and more possible, um, for mums and dads to take time out during those first six to twelve months, there is a there is a big uplift um, mm-hmm. in the parents taking that. Right. Okay. So so it's not just a shift in organisations recognising that actually they need to think more widely and they need to open their thinking from uh, broaden their thinking out from just mums and babies to parents and babies, um, but equally the kind of recipient of that organisational thinking themselves are embracing that opportunity then and and it becoming more parents and babies than just mums and babies. Yes and no. You can probably hear the hesitancy in my voice. I was doing a workshop only last week 
and we had uh, 10 people in the workshop and three of those were dads um, and mm -hmm. one of those dads was taking shared parental leave. So it's still the minority, um, yes. that's definitely the case. Um, and there are still some, some barriers and one of those barriers is concern amongst dads about the impact of putting the hand up and saying I want to take shared parental leave the impact mm -hmm. on their careers. So there is a cultural mm -hmm. aspect to this. There's also yeah. an awareness aspect as well. It is so tricky and complicated to work your way through to um, applying for shared parental leave and actually understanding the process. Um, mm -hmm. So that can be a barrier um, to people taking it up as well. Okay, so so, so those are the two main barriers as you've seen it then. One is the concern people have of the impact on their careers. Um, and the other is it's just practically, it isn't, it isn't a nice, simple thing to be able to do. But is there concern about the impact on their careers well-founded? Or is it, you know, it's a, it's a perception, is it a reality? So I don't think I can give um, sort of a hard and fast answer to that. What we do know is just at the beginning I highlighted some of the experiences of expectant and new mums in terms of mm -hmm. negative and discriminatory experiences. Mm -hmm. An indication perhaps of some underlying attitudes that might exist in some organisations towards dads is that dads are twice as likely as mums to have requests for flexible working turned down. So from a culture, you can start to see how important culture is in all yes. of this. And, yes. and mums and dads both thinking it's fine for me to be taking parental leave and it's not going to impact my career and I am going to be treated fairly. Mm, mm. Interesting, interesting. And yet so dads are, let, are twice as likely to have their requests turned down. Um, yes. Yeah. And, and yet they're not, they're not like, well, I mean, of course, there's, there may be some, some of that could be the different roles that people do, but gosh, I don't think it's going to explain quite those numbers, is it? No, no. But I think it is shifting, and I, I wouldn't want to paint too gloomy a picture, mm -hmm. because I mm -hmm. think because increasingly, you know, dad is saying, I, I do want to be taking some time mm. with my babies and young children and children. And mm. I think that they're now prepared to move jobs if need be to get the sort of work-life balance that they want. Yes. But I think increasingly our organisations will either be doing this because they think actually this is what we should be doing, this is the right thing mm -hmm. for us to be doing, to be supporting our working parents, mm -hmm. or they'll have to do it if they want to mm -hmm. retain and attract the talent that they need to be successful. Yes. I mean, are, are there, are, from what you see, Alison, are some, are some sectors better at this than others? I mean, is, do, for example, do we find the public, public sector employees better at this kind of thing than than in a private PLCs or, or, or what? I mean, are you seeing any similarities? So there are some similarities, and it's not down actually public and private sectors. Cause we mm. do work in both sectors, public and private sector. Um, I think we tend to see three things in the organisations um, that are really demonstrating best practice in this area. Um, mm -hmm. And one of them tends to be their workforces. They have quite complex or skilled workforces, so it's really important to retain the talent that they have got. Um, right. The second thing we tend to see is a culture. I've mentioned this quite a few times mm. now. But they've mm. got a strong culture, and there is a belief that this is the right thing for them to be doing as an organization right. in terms of supporting so their working to, parents. 
ties back to living their brand and living their brand values and yeah if we take one of the engaged with success for enablers uh, enabler number four being about organizational integrity and 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 the values are not just words on a wall but they are behaviors that are demonstrated every day and the values underpin organizational decision making then then clearly that's a, you know a, a strong culture that's aligned with its organisational values. They they know that this fits with doing the right thing. Yeah. Okay. And, and you said there were three. We see, I think you're going to link back back as well um, to those factors, which is around leadership. So what we mm-hmm. often see is there is one person sitting around that leadership table who really advocates this and sees the importance of it and holds the organization to account and makes it happen. And, right. and that is, tends to be as well sort of one, of one of the critical factors in terms of organizations shifting from this as an initiative to something that is really important. It is a priority for the organization, and it's got buy-in, um, both at that strategic level and, and at an operational level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you're right. And that's the first of our enablers, you know, having a... Um, senior leadership who can um, espouse the organisational story and be seen to live the behaviours uh, very, very important. And I, I guess it's also not just about, you talked about skilled or complex workforce that, that they need to retain, but it, it must also play a big part in talent attraction, mustn't it? So I was that about yeah. attracting talent as well, Jane? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Um, so an organ- an- another company that we're working with um, at the moment, they want to use this as a way of attracting more women at particular levels in their organization. So Mm -hmm. they don't have, they're fine, which is great in terms of being able to retain women, but what they would like to be able to do to address their, their gender gap and become more diverse from a gender perspective is they would like to use this to demonstrate the sort of organization they are and to attract more women at certain mm-hmm. levels, certain management and leadership levels within their organization. It acts as a point of difference when it comes to attracting talent um, yes. compared to yes. your competitors, yeah, who may, may not yes. be. Okay, so, so that leads on quite well, actually, to... HR teams, comms people, engagement people. How how can those sort of people listening to this now, uh, and also you know some of those leadership people who are listening, who think they might want to champion this kind of thing. What 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 can they do uh, to help overcome some of those obstacles that you outlined? Um, the one thing that we know makes a real difference, as you just described this. This actually involves many teams and many leaders um, mm. in an organization. Um, and the first thing we really encourage is HR, L&D, um, comms teams, D&I teams as appropriate to come together because they all have a role to play in this. So, so joining up at that sort of strategic and operational level makes a real difference. Um, mm-hmm. So I suppose that that's the first thing that, that we would encourage um, people to do as a starting point. Um, the second thing is then to really understand what the experience is of both working parents and also their managers. Um, because so often an organization is doing so many things right. They've got 
the right policies. Um, they're, they're trying to communicate things as, as well as they possibly can, but they don't realise where there might be gaps in those things and listening to the experience of working parents. So, for example, often there might be policies around IT that are there for really good and valid reasons, but they can make it really challenging for working parents to stay in contact mm -hmm. for those mm -hmm. six, nine, 12 months whilst they're out of the organisation. And also hearing the experience of managers as well, who have often been empowered to manage this on behalf of the organisation, but it's really quite a complex thing to do. So they want to do the right thing, but they're not quite sure how. So mm -hmm. understanding what the reality is for working parents and their managers can be, be really helpful. And then think across all of those areas, what's then required to sort of wrap support around working parents, the things that you're already doing, um, but how you can communicate those more effectively so working parents are aware of the support that's available to them. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps some additional things that you might want to do to provide more support during these key transitions as somebody's leaving work and as they're about to come back into the workplace. Mm. Oh, so, so to act, so, so I think there's two things that I'd like to pick up on. One is, one is around actually explaining what you do better so are you saying then that quite often organizations do actually have quite quite may well have quite good policies in place or quite good approaches they're just they're just not particularly good at kind of marketing that to their people so that their people are sufficiently aware of it they they don't they, it's not that accessible and is that is that also part of the um it's not that easy to apply uh, you know the processes for applying for this kind of thing are this kind of support are not always that simple yes if i i take that the, the um the first point so um if i give a really tangible example so in our mm. workshops we will often have available the parental policies um that are relevant um and Say we've got people, when we do our, our workshop before um, parents are about to go off on parental leave, that's often a couple of months before they're about to make that transition. Mm -hmm. Often we'll have half the people in the workshop will not have seen that policy up until that point, which is quite remarkable when you think about how important it is and also yes. quite how complicated it is as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And if, perhaps if I just bring one other thing to the fore, which is, some of the mental health issues that people have around managing these transitions. So one in five women might um, experience um, perinatal health issues, that's according to MIND. Um, mm -hmm. And often organisations have a whole raft of support available to people in terms of supporting their mental health. It might be employee assistance programmes, it might be some form of private medical insurance, there might be support available as part of their diversity and inclusion network. But often they're not aware of that support. So I think doing specific communication to people at these various stages could really help them understand how an organisation wants to support them, how valued they are by that organisation, and some of the mm. tangible things that are available to help them, them navigate it. Right, right, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, you, you touched on line managers, and I, I'm guessing um, that perhaps they are worried about doing the wrong thing or saying the wrong thing, that, that there's a, is there a perception that, um, the whole area of um, maternity and paternity leave is one where people have protection and if they say the wrong thing, they might find themselves um, 
up in front of a tribunal for having been dis- done done something discriminatory. You know, is that is that a reality that line managers fear? There's a fear of them saying the wrong thing, so they often don't get involved, even as much as they perhaps might like to. Yes, I, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. So I think there's definitely nervousness around, oh, can I ask that? Am I able to ask that? Should I ask that at this stage? So there's mm. sort of uncertainty around, am I going to say the wrong thing? I think that's mm. one aspect of it. I think mm. there's also something around, we call them awkward conversations. So right. they might not want to discuss where somebody can breastfeed when they come back to work and perhaps mm-hmm. store breast milk, for example. That, that's a conversation that isn't your everyday office conversation yes. or, or manager-employee conversation. So there are, there are conversations that they may well avoid having because they find them a bit awkward. Yes. Um, yes. So I think that's another facet that makes it quite challenging because this is mm-hmm. quite rare conversations for them to be having. And mm-hmm. there is a third aspect to this as well, which is around assumptions. So one-third of managers think that um, women um, who have babies um, are less interested in career progression than other employees. So there are also some assumptions that are are made here by some managers, which again can be unhelpful in terms of supporting um, women as they're managing their career, as they're leaving on parental leave and then coming back again. Mm -hmm. I wonder, does that tally, I wonder then, with why men think that one of the obstacles, going back to what you were saying at the beginning, that one of the obstacles as far as men is concerned, that they are they are worried of the they are worried about the impact of this on their careers. Um, it kind of fits a little bit, doesn't it, that people might think that they are less career orientated because if yeah. we're already seeing a third of managers thinking that women with babies are less career orientated, it's probably not surprising that men feel that if they set foot in that territory they might be tarred with the same brush, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, I just think, imagine a time, and I don't think it's that far away, where it would it would be equally acceptable for mums or dads to take um, time out to look after their babies, look after their young children. Equally fine for them to be asking for flexible working requests and for there not to be a negative association between career progression and being a parent. Mm, mm. And do do organisations who are leading the way in this proactively make it clear that that's how their organisation operates, that that's the way it is around, you know, with them? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yes, mm. you won't say yes a thousand times because <laughs> they do. So they'll have role models. They'll be actively communicating um, that this is what their policy is. They will be inviting and encouraging uptake of shared parental leave. They will be mm-hmm. providing support equally to, to mums and dads um, over these transitions. So, yes, mm-hmm. it's sort of getting baked into going back to where we started our conversation in terms of brand. It is, mm-hmm. They are absolutely living this. They are endorsing it and encouraging it um, in a way that it's really positive and that mm. there isn't a negative association. Um, in mm. fact, the opposite. Yes, yes, fascinating. And, and I mean, if we, if we were just to sort of think about wrapping this up, this is coming towards the end of our show, um, you've talked there about some of the sort of best practice things. Um, and 
irrespective of whether an organisation feels that this should be the right thing to do by dint of it being the right thing to do, um, any organisation who's, who's really thinking longer term in terms of um, succession planning, talent attraction, talent retention, um, they need to be thinking about doing these things for no other, you know, if for no other reason than that, than that they need to be thinking about doing these things, don't they? So hopefully we've inspired some listeners to, to be a bit more proactive in thinking about how they can take this kind of thinking forward. So if there was, if there was one thing um, that you would, you would suggest our listeners did um, tomorrow to kind of start making changes, what, what would it be, Alison? Um, one really easy way to start is tomorrow, reach out to a couple of uh, parents who've recently returned and ask them to describe their experiences. What are the things that worked really well, where they had the support and they really valued that support? And what are the things that didn't go so well, the areas where they didn't feel valued, they didn't feel supported, um, there mm-hmm. were real challenges for them, and literally just listen and listen to those experiences, um, and then think about what you could be doing differently to make that smoother, easier, more successful for those parents to transition back into mm-hmm. the workplace. Yes, yes. So that that sounds really good advice, and I think you know you made the point didn't you earlier that so many different parts of the organization have a role to play in this and need to come together um so it is it is it's trying to break down silos and uh, and actually look at this across the piece isn't it really yes yes yeah. and doing it around the experience of working parents is a really good way to do that because mm. you then start to see from a policy perspective what's working, where there need to be changes. From a communication perspective, where are there actually some really good things that an organization's doing, but there isn't awareness of those things? Um, from an L&D perspective, what additional support could you provide? We work, we describe ourselves working at three levels, a practical level, a professional level, and a psychological level. So from an L&D perspective, what, what support is there at a pr- practical level, professional level, and psychological level um, mm-hmm. for working parents? And then D&I networks, wow, they can really be transformative, and we tend to get really involved with D&I networks and talking at events. Um, okay. And they can really help create the culture that you want um, mm-hmm. in an organisation. But, but at the very least, um, as we've now run completely out of time, at the very least, go and have a coffee, go and find someone who's just come back, have a coffee with them, and yes. find out what worked and what hasn't, and then use that yes. as your start point. Alison, absolutely that's been fascinating. Hope it's inspired some people to make some changes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody, oh, for thank listening. You, and it's been a pleasure having you. And goodbye. Thank you. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.